All right, Ignite City Kids. We are so glad that you came in here and now you get to go have a lot and a lot more fun. So friends, stand up, head on out. Everyone else, let them know we love you and we're so thankful for you. Uh, if you're new here and you prefer to have your little one in here, it's okay. Um, it doesn't bother me. I get pretty loud anyway, so I probably won't even hear them anyways. Um, but we're so glad that you're here. And if you are new, just like Alyssa was saying, uh, welcome. My name is Brian. I get to be part of this amazing community, and it's just such a joy to be here together celebrating Easter. And um, I know we did it. Um, I, I think I've said this before. I, I never understood why we said, he is risen, he is risen indeed. I never got that until recently. Um, I remember we, I'd be, uh, I'd be at, at, at my last church at Purpose and we're doing the Easter at Fairplex and I'm, I'm on the escalator helping people up to get out of the way because it's like moving cattle so that they don't get run over. And I would get that all the whole morning. He is risen. He is risen indeed. He is risen. And I don't say indeed anywhere else. I know it's a website now, but it's really the only time that we use the word. And so he is risen indeed. And I thought, I don't say that any other time in my life. And so I remember some older woman's coming up. She, she goes, I thought I'd get a little honorary because if they don't like it, I'm not going to see them afterwards because they're on an escalator. So she says, he is risen. I said, heck yeah, he is. <laughs> and she didn't do that. It's almost like I, it was sacrilegious. It's like I called Jesus a bad word or something. I was like, oh, he's risen. I'm so sorry. But, that's, that's, I mean, but it's been going on for a couple thousand years that Christians have been reminding each other of this. And so he is risen. He is risen indeed, friends. And we come to celebrate that. And friends, it's so good to see you all here. And if you are new, welcome. And if you're old, welcome. It's just good to be back together, isn't it? It's so good to be Back on East, back celebrating Easter inside together. I'm overwhelmed. I'm overwhelmed. Hey, let's pray. Uh, and then we're going to jump into a time as we close off our series. And yes, Brenda, thank you. What you see there on the side is what I get texted to me every week. Every week she takes my message and she does that. And I go, man, people don't need to listen to me. Just go read that. It won't take you as much, but you'll be much more impressed. And so, Brenda, thank you for sharing your gifts with us and your talents and so let's pray, and we're going to jump in. <clears throat> Jesus, we thank you. We celebrate you today. We thank you that you came for us. We thank you that you died in our place, and we thank you that you came back from the dead. And the significance behind that, and I pray that we hear it again and that those who've never heard it are reminded and they're taught the beauty that comes from that message. And those of us who've walked with you for a while, that we're reminded once again of the power of the resurrection and what it means for us today. That it's not just an event, yes, it happened. But you speak through it every day to the things that we face and the things that we're going to go through. And so, Father, I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would teach us Instruct us, encourage us, convict us, whatever is necessary, and bring people to Jesus. Father, bring people to, to a saving knowledge of Jesus today, we pray. In Jesus' name, and everyone who agrees says, amen. The two sisters are sitting there with each other, frantic. And they just look at each other, look at each other and say, well, where is he? And then they look at the person that they sent to go tell Jesus the, the message. And say, like, okay, are you sure that he heard you? I mean, what did you say to him? 
And he comes back and he says, I told him exactly what you said. Lord, he whom you love is ill. He whom you love is ill. Were you sure that he heard you? And he said, and actually, well, I know he heard me because he looked at me and said, okay, thank you. And so well, then what? Well, I came back to tell you that I told him. And then a couple days passed. But he still died. Their brother died. That was the one whom Jesus loved. Can you imagine as the, cha- as the question changed from where is he to where, did, where was he? Why didn't he come? And we called. We told him, this is the one whom you love. Why didn't he come? Can you imagine the frustrations of the questions that came into their minds? Maybe they even talked to one another and said, okay, we saw him help so many other people. And then when it was our turn, he didn't show up. Like, what's this about? And as they continue the questions, maybe that one thought comes to their mind. Maybe at least just for a split second where they actually thought, maybe he doesn't love us like he did them. And yet in John eleven five, it says that Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And so that wasn't it. And then maybe they looked at the message again and said, are you sure? Like he heard you, he heard me. Then why didn't he come? And maybe for some of you, that's the question that you ask today. Maybe you say, well, I prayed and she still died. Or I prayed and he's still sick. Well, I've been praying, but she left him. And I've been praying and he left them. And I prayed and they are still hurt or I've been praying and they're still experiencing oppression. Or I prayed and we still lost everything. Have you been there? And maybe you ask the same questions. Where is he? Why hasn't he come? Where is he? Why didn't he come? Like we called, we prayed. And nothing changed. In fact, it got worse. Think about it. Jesus could have shut up, guys. He was two miles away. That's it. It's a 40-minute walk. It's a 40-minute stroll. But he stayed. Why not come fix it? Why not do it from a distance? He could have healed from a distance, but he didn't. And maybe for us, we said, but I prayed and I asked and I'd done all the things I feel like I'm supposed to do. Why hasn't he changed it? Why didn't anything change? Why did it get better? Why does it feel like it got worse? I wrote this in my notes. I wrote, Jesus doesn't do things the way we think he should because he's doing things that we've never even thought of. Like, we gotta hold on to hope. I feel like a lot of times we ask just for the quick fix and it's such a simple prayer, and it is, and we should pray simply. But then we need to open up ourselves to the fact that maybe Jesus is doing something that I never thought of. It never came into my mind. It was never part of my imagination. That the reason that God didn't step in right when I thought that he should is because he's going to do something even greater. Is it possible? Is it possible that we have a limited perspective on life? That we know today and God who's eternal yet lives outside of time knows everything. Yet God is unfolding his plan and his plan is so much bigger and so much better than just me, myself, and mine. Is it possible that God is doing a greater work for the purpose of his glory? The ultimate purpose that people would come into a saving knowledge of him. 
people that people that actually come to true healing and not just settle for the quick fix. You see, four days before all this might have happened, this conversation, Jesus hears that he's sick, John eleven four, and this is John's this is Jesus' response to the news. He says, this illness will not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. And yet, have been brought up in the church. We know John 11, Lazarus dies, and I just kind of gave away the ending in the beginning. And so how is it that Jesus could say this? Because he knew what he was going to do. For those who've been around the church for a while, maybe you've heard this name, Johnny Erickson Tada. When she was 17, I mean, before, I mean, before she was 17, she was just this active kid. She loved to go swimming. Uh, she loved to ride horses. She played tennis. She came from an athletic home. Her dad was an alternate for the 1932 Summer Olympics wrestling team. And then one day, uh, on July 30th, 1967, everything changed. When she, when she misjudged the shallowness of the Chesapeake Bay and dove headfirst in and became a quadriplegic. To have a fracture between the fourth and the fifth cervical vertebrae, she was left without the ability to move. Her rehab lasted for two years, and she experienced, and this is her own word, she, she experienced what she would call as rage, depression, suicidal thoughts, and religious doubts. Friends, I'm so thankful for those who have gone through life. They've got some years on me, or at least if they're not even older than me, but they have some experiences that I've never experienced. I'm so thankful when they're honest. Because then when I face something that is difficult, I can listen to them and go, wait a minute, so you felt like that before. Like what you think and what you're going through, like what I'm facing, you've gone through it. And yet it was during her occupational therapy that she learned how to paint by taking the paintbrush between her teeth and to paint. She also started to write books the same way. Can you imagine one stick for each letter to write books? I mean, thank, thank goodness that we can now tell our phones and our computers what we want them to say, and about 30% of the time they'll get it right. And what most would look at and say, I can't believe that God would let. Like if we just stopped there at 17, how many people looked at that situation and said, oh, God doesn't love, God doesn't care, God doesn't know what he's doing. From that day until today, she's also, since then, battled cancer twice and beaten it. She's written over 40 books, recorded several musical albums, and starred in an autobiographical movie of her life. She has started a nonprofit organization to accelerate Christian ministry in the disability community. She was appointed to the Disability Advisory Committee of the U.S. State Department in 2005. And then she served on the National Council on Disability under the Presidents Reagan and Bush in 88, helping to author the Americans with Disability Acts. And so what we see is the period, it's over. It's really just God's comma. We think there's no way, nothing good can come out of this. And God's like, are you kidding me? The resurrection of Jesus is the constant reminder from God that God plays in the impossible. I wrote this in my notes. I said, Jesus takes the chaotic paint splatters of our lives and turns them into artistic masterpieces that declare the glories of God. 
We would look at our life and go, this is chaotic. How could you experience all this and, just, and still be going with Jesus? In her own words, this is what she says. She says, before my paralysis, my hands reached for a lot of wrong things, and my feet took me into some bad places. After my paralysis, tempting choices were scaled down considerably. My particular affliction is divinely hand-tailored expressly for me. Nobody has to suffer transverse spinal lesion at the fifth, fourth, fifth cervical, exactly as I did to be conformed to his image. Do you hear her perspective? Why did this happen? We could look and go, no, no, that's not right. And yet she would look and say, this was for my good. I can't speak for her on that, because I, I still, I read that and go, but yeah, but still, couldn't you have? And yet she'd say, this is for my good. This is what God designed for me, for my process of being sanctified into the likeness of Jesus, to make, to him for me into the likeness of his son. And so when Jesus says in John eleven four, this illness does not lead to death, it is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through. And he says, it is for the glory of God. What is it? What is it? When he says, it is for the glory of God, the it is the illness. The illness that Lazarus is experiencing is not going to lead to death. It's actually going to bring glory to God. The infirmity, the struggle, the affliction, that thing that you never thought you'd have to go through or have to face, God is sitting there going, be prepared. It's going to hurt. It's going to be difficult. But oh, if we could see the end of the story, God will be glorified. And somehow he will take us and form us into the likeness of Jesus where we can actually see this as the blessing. Just remind me of that when I face the difficult time next. And I'll do the same for you. He says this, it won't lead to death, and then Lazarus dies, and Jesus knew that he did. Because you get to John eleven fourteen, he tells the disciples, hey, Lazarus has died. And then in verse 15, he goes on and says, and for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there. Does that not sound heartless? Can you imagine me saying that to somebody? Like being a pastor. Hey, so-and-so died. Oh my gosh, I heard about it. I'm so glad I wasn't there. Can you imagine? Be like, what a jerk. Can you imagine the disciples going, I'm sorry, what did you say? You're glad that you weren't there? Why? And he gives the reason. So that you may believe. Isn't it amazing that God is going to use the death of one to bring belief to another? So they go, but Brian, do you realize how much it hurts? I do. And do you realize that we have a father in heaven who knows how, what it feels like and the hurt that comes from losing a son? Not just losing a son, but to pour his wrath out on his son so that he wouldn't, wouldn't have to pour it out on us. We have a God who has hurt with us. He's experienced more hurt than we could ever imagine. And imagine a God who sees all the affliction and the hurt and the oppression throughout the world. He feels it. He knows it. Yet God will be glorified for it will be a redemptive opportunity for him to prove that he's good to show that he's good so jesus says let's go let's go to bethany that word bethany or that name bethany is translated by some as house of figs just because there's a bunch of fig trees all over the place and has anyone ever had a fig like a real fig and liked it that's the next question anybody lovers i'm not saying fig newtons that doesn't count 
Because anybody can eat a sleeve of Fig Newtons and praise the Lord when you're done, right? In fact, I think we should use that for communion. That's just an opinion. But Fig Newtons are fantastic. And it's weird. A serving size is two Fig Newtons. I'm like, are you, who eats Fig? Who eats two? I know some of you sitting there going, I will break it apart throughout the week. One little section at a time because I want the abs. Guys, the abs aren't worth it. Eat a sleeve. Eat the whole thing and praise the Lord in the midst of it. But guys, I'm not, I'm not, I, I guarantee I would not wanna eat, I want to eat. I don't want to live in Bethany. I remember, I remember I was on a mission trip we, uh, at my first church, Cornerstone Bible Church, when I was first being a youth pastor, and we, we'd take the kids down to Mexico for mission trip every year. And so we'd go down and we'd build a house, um, and then we'd do VBS for kids, and then we had a doctor that came along, which is so cool, it's just this little youth group, and we'd take like 80 kids, and it was always so terrifying, because I had to bring them all back. You can't, you can't go like, oh, I brought all but one. It's still a passing grade. No parents sit there go, okay, I, I understand. So I was always freaking out. You got your paperwork, where's your passport? It's like, I don't know. I don't need a passport. And they throw in it. And I'm like, no, 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 come back. So we take down a, we take down a, a doctor. And so he, we'd go house to house. And so as we we're doing that, and my translator, I kept her right here. Her name's Leticia. She did youth ministry with me forever. And so we, we walk up to this place to see if they need any clothes or any uh, medical help and and the person becomes so generous, and she has this fig tree, and I'd never had a fig. And, she, and so she goes, come in, and she's pointing me over here, and I don't, I don't know if you noticed, um, I'm cracker white. I have no clue what she said to me, but I follow her, and so I'm just going along. And so, she, my, but the thing is, my translator, she didn't say a word. She knew what figs taste like. She said, take some figs, and she hands them, I'm like, thank you. And I took a bite. No bueno. It was not good. I was not having it. But she's looking at me like, <laughs> I'm like, I am so lying right now. And the thing is, she gave one to Leticia who's just standing next to me. And she's just holding, and she told her thank you. And, and I'm looking at her and I said, come on. You, she's like, <laughs> and once the lady turned, she chucked it. And I said, why, why, did, why did you warn me? And she goes, I wanted to see what you would do. <laughs> and you, I said, you are so lucky that you are necessary for this trip. Because <laughs> I can't get anywhere without you. And she just starts laughing. She goes, what are you going to do with it? And so the lady turns around. I just waved again. She turned on, check it. I'm not going to live in Bethany. I don't want to live there. Except there's also some translators that they, transla- they translated as house of misery. And I thought, wow, there's something to that. And then the speculation was this, is that, that Bethany was a designed place for the sick and those with contagious diseases. And for those of us who know Jesus, isn't it just like Jesus to walk toward the misery? Not to run away from it, not to expect somebody else to go do it, but isn't it just like Jesus that we see in Scripture to walk toward the misery? And church, he invites us to do the same. For where Jesus goes, we're supposed to go. And so Jesus arrives. Lazarus has already been dead for four days. Both sisters hear that Jesus has arrived. Martha goes to meet him, but Mary stays back. Guys, it doesn't say why Mary stayed back. And I've shared this, I think, with uh, our Ignite City community. This is my opinion. It doesn't say in the scripture, and you, if you disagree, it's totally fine. I'm probably not going to talk about it. This is my opinion. I think Martha went because she still had this faith, and I think that Mary stayed back because she's ticked. She's angry. That's my opinion. 
It says that she stays seated. She didn't even stand up. She stayed seated, and people around her continued to comfort her. So Martha shows up, and notice what Martha says in verse 21. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Have you ever said that or something similar? God, if you had been here, this wouldn't have happened. God, if you're really in charge, then this wouldn't be happening. I mean, isn't it weird to hear a pastor say or a preacher say, to read some author or whatever, to hear them say, God is sovereign, he's in control. He knows what he's doing and then look at the suffering going on around the world and go, wait a minute, but you just said he's sovereign. He is. And we also live in this really broken world because we broke it. And friends, in all honesty, God could have just started over. But starting over was never God's plan. There's always been plan A, no other plan, one plan. I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful because we're part of it. But I love that she said it honestly. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And then Jesus responds to her. And talks, and this was a reminder that there's this resurrection the last time, and she brought that up to him. And she even said, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. She knows her Bible, quote unquote, her Bible. She knows what's going to happen. It's like she knows the verses. And then watch what Jesus says. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Like you're waiting for a future thing, and I'm the resurrection and the life. Followers of Jesus, can I remind you, if you are a follower of Christ, can I remind you that your resurrected life does not begin once you go to heaven. It begins right when you say yes to Jesus. Your resurrected life does not, okay, new life, heaven, that's what I'm waiting for. Once I die, everything will be great, no worries, it's all over. Oh God, I don't want it to happen, but I kind of do because I'm ready to see you because that's when it really happens. No, no, no. When I surrendered my life to Christ, when I realize I'm a sinner before God and I can't present anything good to him except me and to realize that God only wants me. I didn't have to achieve anything. I didn't have to do anything. I just had to submit and to surrender to the lordship of Jesus. And in that moment when I did, to have him give me salvation that he paid for and to give me his Holy Spirit who's in me to walk with me and to help me, it was nothing that I did of myself, but all on him. That life does not begin once we die, when we're in heaven. Life begins when we say yes to Jesus. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who, who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? If I was to ask you the question, if you're not a follower of Christ, do you believe this? Because haven't you been to a funeral? The only purpose for going to a funeral is what? Because somebody died. And so was Jesus just out of touch? Or was Jesus talking about something different? Guys, it's resurrected life that he's talking about. That's why he says, I'm the resurrection and the life. I wrote this in my notes. Belief in Jesus precedes life in Jesus. Belief in Jesus precedes life in Jesus 
The question that he asked, do you believe this? I think it's the same question, that he, the same question he asked of us. Do we believe this? And in verse 27, she said this. Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who has come into the world. I believe that. And if Jesus asks the same question of you, do you believe this? Do you believe the same thing? Is your response the same? I believe you are the Christ, the Messiah, the promised one, the one that we've been waiting for for hundreds of years, and you've shown up. I believe you to be God in a bod. I believe that you are God Almighty who took on flesh and became a human, fully God, fully man at the same time. I believe you're the Son of God. You're divine. It is not what I believed him to be. I don't get to make it up. I believe him to be who he says he is. And that's what she's saying. I believe you to be who you say you are. That's why belief in Jesus precedes life in Jesus. So when Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life, here's the thought that came to my mind, and I pray that this is an encouragement to you. Jesus is all about bringing the dead things back to life. Jesus is all about bringing dead things back to life. Guys, if you need any kind of application for each Easter, beyond the resurrection of Christ, defeating sin and death after his crucifixion and taking on the wrath of God to come back from the dead, here's what you can be reminded of from the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus is in the, he's in the hobby. He's in the habit of taking things that seem dead and breathing life back into them. You can trust him. But do you believe this? So Martha goes and gets Mary. She still hasn't shown up. And the rabbi's te- he's calling for you. The teacher's calling for you. So, so it says that Mary got up in such a way that everyone took notice. Guys, I'll be honest. I can sneak out pretty well. I know I'm a pretty big guy, but I feel like I can slither my way out with many, without people noticing. But if I stand up and I walk out in such a way that people take notice, I'm thinking that's my mad walk. Do you guys have a mad walk? You know what I'm talking about? Like, it's kind of nice being big, even though my sons were in. Do you see my sons with me? And, my, and Tyler, my oldest, is now taller than I am. Let's just say that again. Miranda, thank you for bringing that up last week. You jerk. And so um, I now have to look up at my son, Miranda. Just remember, I'm going to bring that up a lot, the way that you hurt my heart. But... It's kind of nice when you're walking through a crowd to have big people in front of you. You just kind of get right behind them and go. And I'm not going to lie. I like being one of the big people. I just kind of walk. Well, we'll make a way. We'll make a way. It's like we're doing something really massive, like the world needs us in that moment. But I have a go walk. And if I'm on my go walk, get out of my way. It's like, what if it's a child? You're quicker than I am. Move. Thank you. So everyone took notice. They thought she was going to the tomb to mourn her, her brothers or mourn over the loss of her brother. But watch what happens when she shows up. Now, when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet. It doesn't say Martha fell at his feet. It just says Mary did. Why? Again, it doesn't say. And I'm not saying that Martha's better than Mary. I'm just saying they were at two different places in this whole process. But she goes to her feet saying, Lord, watch, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. The exact same phrase. The exact same phrase that Martha just said. And yet when Martha said it, Jesus challenged her thought. 
But when Mary did, he didn't say a word. He didn't look at her and say, I'm the resurrection of life. He just stayed silent. And then he started looking around at everyone. As he looks at Mary on her knees crying before Jesus and maybe Martha standing next to her trying to help her up or consoling her. And then he's looking at everyone around who's mourning and crying over the loss of Lazarus because this family's so loved. Jesus looked around and just said, suck it up. No, that's not what he said. As he looked around and saw everyone crying, he wept. Jesus wept. And it wasn't just a tear came down. I mean, the way that it's worded, it's like he just lost it. This uncontrollable, ugly cry. Why would he cry if he knew the end? Why cry? Except he would cry because everybody else did. Everyone else was hurt, so why wouldn't he hurt with those who hurt? Guys, he gets it. And then you watch two groups. In John eleven thirty six, he says, see how he loved them? Like some groups said, hey, see how Jesus loved him? Like he's crying. So one group's going, oh, he's so sympathetic. In verse 37, here's the second crew. Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Isn't it amazing? They're there, the same, same things going on. One perspective, oh, he really loved him. The other side's, why didn't he show up and heal him? I'm so glad we don't live in a divided world today. <laughs> See the same thing and have two sides. I'm so thankful they're a little bit more open about that. Isn't it amazing? The same event, division, right there. It's automatic. And Jesus didn't address it. He didn't walk up to one and say, I do love him. Shut up. He just let him talk. So which group do you fall into this morning? You could look at those who are hurting or if you're hurting and go, oh, I, oh, he really loves them or he really loves them. Or I thought he loved them. Why didn't he step in and change it? Why didn't he fix it? And then he says this. Hey, let's go to the tomb. And they show up and he says, I want you to move the stone Good old Martha, and I think I brought this up last week or the week before. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. All Jesus said was, move the stone. No, no, we can't. No, he's got some stink. It's not going to happen. No, no, you don't want to do that. This is, this is not a hospitable time. And Jesus said to her, verse 40, did I, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Followers of Jesus, I think, I think we need to stop telling Jesus so much of our opinions and just do what he says. Instead of when he says, I want you to go do this, it's like, here's why it's not going to work. Because I think that Jesus' response every time is, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Yes. But... And we always think that our rhetorical response is the really thing that's going to make God go, I didn't think of that one. I have every thought every, ever possible, but that one, that stumped me. And so they move it. 
And Jesus prays to the Father. And he says, the only reason I'm praying, Father, is that they would hear me speaking to you so that they know you're doing this. It's not for me. I know you hear me, but it's so that they would believe. And I know that we look in the Word and we think that he just said it. Lazarus, come out. No, the way that he said it, he screamed it. The way that it's worded, he yelled it as loud as he could. Lazarus, come out! You imagine people just looking, what did he say? How rude! Like the guy's dead, it's been four days, why wait four days? Because there was this belief that before the fourth day that the spirit of that person that died would just kind of hover around the body. But after four days, it's gone. So Jesus made it very obvious, this guy's gone. And then he screams out to a dead body, I can't believe he would all of a sudden. Guys, what would you think? Especially if you're the person going, he doesn't care. He doesn't, what the? Yeah, he's pretty awesome. Guys, you realize if he had just healed Lazarus from being sick, we would have never been reading about Jesus raising him from the dead. If he just fixed the problem super quick, the way that we wished it would be, because we want it to be more comfortable. If Jesus had just done that, then we would never have known and seen this part. We wouldn't read about the fact that he raises people from the dead. I'm so thankful that Jesus doesn't do things the way we think he should, because he's doing things that we've never even thought of. I guarantee you that no person on the planet at that moment, in that place, thought, oh, I bet he's gonna bring him back from the dead. No one. Every single one of them thought he was late. I love the way <laughs> that John words it. In John eleven forty four, when he comes out, remember this part? The man who had died came out. I have never used that phrase in all of my life. Hey, the guy who died took a walk. It doesn't go together. So here's John is saying, hey, and Lazarus came walking out. He goes, no, the guy who died came out. That's Jesus. That's the stuff Jesus does. His hands, feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to him, watch this, unbind him and let him go. Friends, this is the passage I preach at almost any funeral that I get to do, especially for a follower of Jesus. Why? Because I believe that this is what Jesus says for every person who dies, who's in love affair with Christ, surrendered to him, that in that moment when that person takes their last breath, Jesus screams, unbind them, take that body off, and let him go. Even in death, God is glorified. Even in death, God does the miraculous. And so what do we take from this? Jesus is about bringing dead things back to life. Friends, can I encourage those of you that you just, I don't know, whatever kind of relationship that you have, it's like it's not going to change. Jesus has a way of taking dead things to, and bringing them back to life. If your marriage is jacked up, you feel like it's over, Jesus takes dead things and brings them back to life. 
We just got this diagnosis and we don't know what's going to happen. Jesus takes dead things and brings them back to life. We're facing this thing as a family. It's the hardest thing we've ever had to face. Let me remind you, Jesus came back from the dead. The oppression that people are experiencing, Jesus came back from the dead. The need for racial reconciliation, we shouldn't go, what's going to come? How do we make this happen? It's too big. Nothing can change. Jesus came back from the dead. We're supposed to constantly remind each other, Jesus came back from the dead. When something seems insurmountable, Jesus came back from the dead. That's what we take from this. That's what we go home with. It is not done. There's always a comma when we connect the impossible to the resurrection of Jesus. Let him decide when the exclamation point comes in. Let him decide. But until then, hold on to the hope that comes from this truth. Jesus came back from the dead. As the worship team comes back up, there's an old school pastor and author that I love. His name's A.W. Tozer. In a book that he wrote titled The Pursuit of God, and this idea of what is it like to come to Christ, to surrender to Jesus, he kind of described it this way. He says, first a sound as of a presence walking in the garden, then a voice more, tan, more, I'm sorry, more intelligible, but still far from clear, then the happy moment when the Spirit begins to illuminate the Scriptures, and that which had been only a sound or at a best a voice now becomes an intelligible word, warm and intimate and clear as the word of a dear friend. Then will come life and light and best of all ability to see and rest and embrace Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord and all. I go, that's a pretty great description. For those of you who don't know Christ, all the way to those of us who do, the reminder of this whole Passion Week is this. We couldn't get ourselves to God. We couldn't do enough good, good and right things before him. All of our good deeds are like filthy rags compared to the holiness and perfection of God. And so out of anything about it, every other old religion, you do enough good things to get yourself right with God, and yet Christianity is the only one that says you can't, so God came. And God took our place. Jesus took our place. He paid the penalty. And you read through it. When you read through the Old Testament, all the sacrifices that are put in place because of sin. And this sacrifice has to be done for this sin. And this sacrifice for this sin. It's just over and over and over. Think about how many animals were slaughtered so that blood could be poured out for the forgiveness of sin. And yet, the writer of Hebrews says it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to bring about forgiveness for people. All those things were just to point us to Jesus coming. So Jesus paid the price that was necessary. For there is no other way to heaven except through Jesus. That Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It is only through surrendering to Jesus and receiving his gift of salvation. But by saying, Jesus, I want to follow you. I want to follow you. And when you do, when you do, he gives you salvation. You're right with God forever. But following Jesus means I'm going, to obey, I'm going to obey you, but I'm not saved by those things. I do, I do those things because I'm saved. I want to live because I love him, not so that I can be loved. In other words, welcome to freedom. 
Welcome to life. So if you're here and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I would love to talk to you about it afterwards. Or grab a person that's sitting next to you and say, why don't you tell me about why Jesus is so great? And let them answer. And this is like, oh, that's a little nerve-wracking. I know, you should have been prepared. <laughs> Friends, I'm not the, I'm not the all-in. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not the guy that everyone's supposed to like, just come to me because I got all the answers. Every one of us have the same Holy Spirit in us. All of us are called to go make disciples. You don't need me to tell you how to love Jesus. Those of you who love Jesus, you can tell people just the same. But if you don't know Christ, and I know this sounds harsh, but it isn't because I'm just so thankful that he came, but you cannot be right with God and you cannot be forgiven in right standing before God without surrendering to the Lordship of Jesus. That's what the scriptures teach. And I know that for some, it's like, that is so close-minded. I'm like, aren't you just thankful that God made a way? Because in his justice, he could have just said, you're done. But friends, my sin points me to the beauty of his grace. And his grace introduces me. I don't have to earn it. But following Jesus will take effort. And it's beautiful to walk with him. So if you don't have a surrendered life to Jesus, here's what the Bible says. You confess to say something in such a way that your life will follow what you just declared. That's what that word confess means. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. He's master. So if he's Lord and master, then you're going to do what he says. You don't get to rewrite it. We're going to do what he says. So you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart God raised him from the dead. You call out to him. He says, and you'll be saved. But it's a surrendering. It's giving yourself up and saying, I want to follow you, your Lord. And you can do that right there. Now, if you did and you want to, please tell me. Tell someone. I just want to know to celebrate with you. But friends, you can't be right with God except for Jesus. And I know we live in a pluralistic world where it's like, well, what you believe is fine. I just believe in love. Do you realize that part of the definition of love is justice? That if you are not just, then you're not loving. So don't think that you're just being loving by just saying whatever. But he does. He loves us like crazy. He came for us. He died for us. Came back from the dead for us, friends. He's so awesome. And we're so sinful, but when we come to Christ, we're changed. So can I pray? And seriously, if you want to come to know Jesus, please come up and chat afterwards or talk to somebody next to you. We'd love to introduce that, but it's, it's not like you need me to do it. Just do it. Say, but please tell someone. Tell us on the Connect card. I'll, I'll take you to lunch. Talk about it on me. I'll take you somewhere really nice. Wendy's. It's got a five, five, like a big bag, $5 big bag thing. I'll take you real nice, right? I know that some, for those who have been brought up in the church a long time, it's like, I see at crusades, they have to come forward. Nope, not saved by any works. Oh, you got the experience going, get them on the ropes, make them, guys, it's all about a, a true decision to Jesus. I don't want an emotional response. I feel like over the years when I just push on people's emotions, I think I've led people away from Jesus and not toward him. If it's a true surrender, they'll surrender. So can I pray for us as we continue to celebrate Jesus and what he's done? If I, as I pray, if you, if you want to 
Raise your hand and say, I'm, I'm, I need prayer. We'll pray. If you say, I'm surrendering to Jesus, great. You need to repent. You can put a hand up. It's fine. You can look around. You can pray with your eyes open. I don't care. But if that's what you need today, great. But I'm just going to close this in prayer, okay? And then we'll go back into singing. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for what you did. We thank you for your resurrection. We thank you that you do the impossible. We thank you that you love to do it. God, thank you for this time together. And may we be reminded that you take, you take dead things and make them alive. And God, to you be all the praise, all the glory, and all the honor, for you alone are worthy. And we pray this in Jesus' name, and everyone who agrees says, amen. Love you more than you know.